Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to the third week of 52 Weeks of Christmas. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Tonight we're talking about Happiest Season, the 2020 Hulu original. And joining us for the first time here on the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast is our very good friend, Will, from So I'm Watching This Show. Will, you get to be the first guest on our 52 Weeks of Christmas Joy podcast. Hey, I didn't know that. Think, well, that he's Welcome. like he's like that adds a level of pressure I was not ready for. I, I feel special and thrown to the sharks. <laughs> well, if this doesn't yeah. chart, it's all on you, and that's. <laughs> So, so it's not the happiest season. That's a mistake I've been making literally for a week getting ready to record this. It's just happiest season. There's no time for those in this title. <laughs> it was a screenplay by Clea Duvall and Mary Holland based on a story by Clea Duvall. And it was directed by Clea Duvall. She, she was hitting all three paychecks on this one. Guys. Uh, this is the first movie we've done. We've done It's a Wonderful Life. We've done Elf. This is the first really new, really new, brand spanking new, just came out November 25th of 2020 Christmas movie that we've done. So I think this is going to be a good test for us to see, you know, exploring the idea of, is this a Christmas movie? Is it a good Christmas movie? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. This movie has a lot of stuff going on. It is billed as a rom-com, LGBTQ-friendly Christmas movie. And I think there's a lot of stuff in there that we kind of need to unpack. Mm -hmm. First, let's start with the cast, because I think this is as stacked a cast as Hulu could ever hope or want or pray it would ever have in an original movie. It, this was obviously supposed to be a theatrical release, but because of COVID, it got bought by Hulu and it became out as one of their original movies. I mean, it stars Kristen Stewart and Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, I'm a huge fan of going back to a Halt and Catch Fire. It's got Alison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, Dan Daniel Levy, mm. Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> this is our second Mary Steenburgen Christmas movie in a row. I know. It's got Mary Holland, who plays Quirky Jane, and it's got Victor Garber. Will, what do you say when you see this cast? Is this, like, guaranteed good time for you? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, I mean, not even to mention uh, Anna Gasteyer and... Oh, my it, God, yeah. It, Sarah U. Blue. <laughs> uh, I actually like Jake McDormand. I've liked him ever since Aquamarine, but... It, and it's also a very female cast. It's coming out big, the heavy hitters with the women. Good call. It's, how did you say it? I call her Soraya Blue. I thought it was Sarah you, so I'm uh, not sure. Uh, well, I'll go with Sarah you. That's fine. I was a fan of her. I was like one of four people that watched I Feel Bad. Her, her show, yeah. Her very short-lived sitcom, which is, if anyone is a parent, go try and find that show on streaming. <laughs> I think you could definitely identify with almost everything that was in that show. It was pretty funny. Like, like the parents, too. Oh, it was good. Oh, my God. It was it was some really, really funny stuff. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like the, culture, the culture clash was, was, was gold by itself, but just the parenting situations were, were pretty so spot good. on. Caroline, how about you? You're looking at this cast. You're seeing another Mary Steenburgen. Just a guaranteed banger for you, like Elf. 
Yeah. I mean, I love Dan Levy so much from Schitt's Creek, Victor Garber. Come on. I mean, I, for whatever reason, now he's always wearing what he was wearing in Titanic for me. Like anytime I think of him, he's like wearing that suit <laughs> just always. So yeah, I was ready for a fantastically good time. We're assuming people have watched this movie. If you haven't, we're going to talk freely about spoilers. So you may want to go watch it on Hulu and then come back and listen. When he comes out with the scarf finally at the end of the movie, I was like, yes. now that feels like Victor Garber. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you're going to deny us him singing, then you got to give me Scarf Garber earlier on than the last Tanash. scene. But good lord. Good lord. Uh, good, good lord. lord, bird. Quick recap. If if you haven't watched a movie and you still want to listen to us because you just like our harmonious tones, uh, it basically follows Mackenzie Davis, who plays Harper, and Kristen Stewart, who plays Abby, their girlfriend, girlfriend. Uh, Abby is an orphan child who is coming home. <laughs> she was one of the lucky ones, though. Yes. <laughs> she didn't have to go to the orphanage. She, yeah, well, she, she made it all the way to 19 before she was orphaned, so she got escaped. One of the jokes that really worked for me was the recurring orphan joke. It made me yes. laugh every time. It did. Abby, with nowhere to go on Christmas, is convinced to go home to Harper's parents after they have a magical night, except for Harper realizes on the way to her parents' house, she's never come out as gay. She has never told her parents she has a girlfriend, and her family thinks she's bringing home her straight roommate that she lives with, and that's all. The hilarity ensues, and, and awkward revelations and feelings and all sorts of things kind of go sideways once Abby and Harper hit Harper's parents' house. <sighs> Accurate. There's a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. I, 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 let's start with, I think, I think the biggest thing that this movie got traction for, and I think the reason this movie was positively received was because it's telling a pretty original for a movie, for a big budget movie, uh, an interesting coming out story, which is still very underrepresented in mainstream media. Not having had to go through the experience myself, I'm curious what you guys felt. Did it work for you? Did it feel believable? Did it... did the emotions hit you real? Not only Harper and Abby, but also her family and and their reaction to it. The first thing that I sort of have to say with this movie is I, I do enjoy it. I, I, I enjoyed watching it, but this movie is at war with itself. It is trying to be three separate movies. It's trying to be a family holiday, you know, Christmas movie. It's trying to be like a 2000s sort of indie rom-com. And it's trying to be like, the the lesbian love movie and it kind of gets halfway one third of the way two thirds of the way there in all of them but it doesn't get fully there in any of them and so i really do have to look at it through different lenses I think we should totally look at it in this podcast through those different lenses. Can right. we just take take your <laughs> cue there and go for that? Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, Which one do we want to pick first? Well, this is a holiday podcast. <laughs> let's go. With, you want to go holiday family, family part? You want to do mm-hmm. that? Sure. All right. So here's the thing. I saw so many different parts to this that I did not think were terribly unique. I definitely saw the the Christmas vacation hanging off the roof action. I saw the meet the Fockers uh, shenanigans of hiding in the closet and all that kind of stuff. Like there was a lot of things that were very just sort of on brand. Some sort of shenanigans have to go down sitting on that tiny chair. You guys at the country club. Shut up. That is like... <laughs> 
That is Greg in the dressing room wearing the Speedo when everyone else is doing the volleyball game and he has to wear that. And he's like super embarrassed. It's totally that moment. Every single part where they're like ice skating, that's like every single, that's like wedding crashers football game with the family. There was not one sack lunch joke. I don't know how you can call them the same. (laughs) I'm just saying lots and lots and lots of family gags, right? Lots of moments of getting caught in the bedroom. Very, very tropey, yeah. I think every single family where you bring someone home but you're not married yet has that, I got caught in the bedroom, have to hide behind the door or hide under the Mm -hmm. bed or hide in the closet moment. Like that happens everywhere. Although I did kind of throw up when the little kids actually met the eyeball in the crack of the door. I was like, no. But that didn't really go anywhere. The kids never even said anything. They actually weren't problematic at all. Well, no, I mean, well, they caused they caused a, uh, a shoplifting uh, scare and then smirked about it. But yes. Fact on that. No, yeah. totally true on that. Although we've seen that move, too, in other movies. So to the point of, like, is it just, like, a very typical, very uh, accessible to anybody who just wants to see a really relaxed, cool, silly. Yeah, this is, I think it's got all those parts to it. What do you guys think from that part of it? Which is half the battle. I mean, that alone, the fact that the gay movie, the gay rom-com is a, you know, quasi-family-friendly Christmas movie, that in its existence is its success there. And there's a part of me, you know, as as the gay, there's a part of me that I feel a duty to like it, <laughs> just to just to kind of be like, okay, we got it. Here it is. I have to. I'm I'm not allowed. And and I think the fact that it managed to not be a dismal failure is the success. So I think you hit on on something that I struggled with watching this because I wanted to be supportive of what the movie was mm-hmm. a, a gay rom com in a Christmas setting and there's not a lot of them i wanted to like it i felt a duty to like it but here's the thing other than abby uh other than dan levy's character other than mary holland's jane i found these people so very very unlikable literally with 15 minutes left in the movie where they tried to redeem harper and then in the kind of epilogue they tried to redeem the parents and and allison Bree's character sloan but it was way way too late like abby says it's just too too late my issue wasn't with her inability to come out to her parents that was my issue my issue was Everything else about her character that had nothing to do with her sexuality was unlikable. You bring your girlfriend who already have to not be with and you have to kind of ignore, and then you stay out till 2 a.m. after sending her home. All of that, none of that worked for me. I did not like her. And it's really hard to root for a rom-com Christmas movie when you dislike greatly most of the cast. Because that's sort of the issue I was having is we started from the box of, okay, you know, holiday Christmas movie, but then we're going to do a twist on it with be- with the being LGBT. And then it's like the movie then had to fight its natural progression. Like the story it started to tell, they realized two thirds through that that doesn't work with their starting place. And so they had to sort of shoehorn it back in so that it ends in the same place, you know, it ends in that trajectory. If they had just let this story be what it organically 
was, which is obviously where Kristen Stewart ends up with Aubrey Plaza. Yes. (laughs) That would have been interesting. That That defies the initial premise and the initial promise of the movie. So we all would have hated the Harper character, man or woman, doesn't and it doesn't matter. And we all would have had empathy for the Kristen Stewart character, and it wouldn't matter, man, woman, because she was being set up for failure the entire time. I mean, I would have gotten out of the car on the side of the road right then and there. (laughs) I'd have been like, you are taking me to a slaughter. That is kidnapping. That is hostile. Yes, you're taking me to get slaughtered here. I've already told you I'm sensitive about the holidays. Right, right. You are putting me in a place where I am going to be perpetually embarrassed. I still, I'm a 35-year-old man. When I'm going in a situation like that, I'll be like, do they know I'm gay? And you would not believe how many times people are like, oh yeah, they're fine with it. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't answer my question. Do they know? (laughs) It's less and less, obviously, as I've gotten older and as time has progressed, the time in which I came of age, I'm very aware of my surroundings, of who's with me. I I have very carefully curated (laughs) social groups and places that I go because I need to know that I'm in control or that I'm in a place where I'm, you know, okay. I mean, even if it was a platonic friend that I was going home, I would be like, do your parents know that I'm gay? You know what I mean? Because it's like people have a tendency to be like, oh, yeah, it's not a problem, but they don't actually understand what it would be like once confronted with it. And that's something that I found fascinating about the movie is people really, really, really turned on Harper. And I, I get it. I agree. But there was a fascinating story in there. And there are times where I actually had a great deal of empathy and sympathy for Harper, even when she was being quote-unquote bad well this is the schizophrenia you're talking about though because i think what you're the empathy that you're having for her is in her lgbtq story though Mm -hmm. not in the rom-com story Mm -hmm. i think you're talking about her dealing with her family as a queer woman trying to come out and not knowing how to do it we can't lose sight of the fact that mary steenburgen and victor garber their characters are straight homophobes there is a comment where they talk about the the they're talking about friends they're they're throwing shade on their friends and they they make a very blatant comment about oh you know about that lifestyle Mm-hmm. The li- a shame about that lifestyle choice. A real backwards kind of comment that even in the waspiest parts of Connecticut wouldn't fly, I don't think, in 2021. But it's also not consistent. Presumably, we're dealing with, you said waspy, presumably we're dealing with a conservative family because we know that they're in politics and stuff like that. And yet they're not really hitting other than obvious, like just sort of visual, like the wealth cues and stuff like that. They're not hitting a lot of these political talking points and thank god we don't want that in this christmas movie but still other than that one comment they just seem sort of out of touch they don't actually seem hateful they seem ignorant they seem Mm -hmm. like they are there is an american ideal that their family needs to conform to for politics reasons you know the whole we have to get the christmas photo on the gram uh, on on the instagram yeah i'm on tipper's side with that getting a good photo is like wrangling cats but oh oh god yes (laughs) i i am wholly on her side with that entire plot thousand pictures and then thank god paul does photoshop because I think it took about 18 ones where we switched out heads. You just on combine everybody. them. Yeah, we combine them into one photograph. That's the only way. Why is Caroline holding a firecracker in that Christmas photo? That's <laughs> exactly. really weird. Exactly. <laughs> 
but then there's another element where they make sure to say that this is sort of an this is new like he's just now running or that this is like harper says that this is the first time and so i'm sort of like where is this family dynamic where i kind of was sort of thrown was that also none of her friends even had a suspicion that this was an aspect of her life no well and then when you add well you add the wrinkle that she outs aubrey plaza's character mm-hmm. riley as a freshman in high school this woman is in, is not redeemable that is that a is hateful evil. thing and mm-hmm. what you, you you say uh i'm sorry after you've been exposed after the party goes south at the end there victor garber turns to allison Bree's character sloan the oldest sister and says how dare you spread lies how pathetic are you to spread lies about your sister even then and when you, you have to do the math my man the whole thing didn't work for me and victor garber you're a gay man yeah why are you playing this role like here's the thing caroline and i covered Shit's creek in the last season and we have we're doing a rewind for it beginning soon the one thing we loved about Shit's creek was the idea that it was post-homophobia mm-hmm. whatever you were was what you were and it was just accepted is that utopian sure did it make for a delightful setting in which you could tell interesting stories, even about queer relationships? And it's all handled without having to resort to the worst kinds of positions to take. This is supposed to be a Christmas movie. It really is lacking in all those kinds of things that you want in a Christmas movie. I think it's part of the kind of split personality <laughs> that you very smartly, I think, picked up on and pointed out, Will. Not necessarily to completely change topics. I feel like we'll come back to this but also the second part of this is the Christmasness of this movie is purely incidental. For the first 15 minutes, Harper loves Christmas. This is about a story about one person who wants to share something special with their significant other, and that is out the window by the 15-minute mark. It Mm -hmm. does not come back up again. Granted, there is a very nice Christmas aesthetic that I really appreciate and enjoy. There is a coziness throughout the entire movie that I actually really appreciate and enjoy. I mean, I already said that the movie was at war with itself, but it's like you mentioned about how unlikable, you know, all of these people are. We've already talked about some of the like the homophobia and stuff. It just it never follows through on any of its promises. Like it's too mean for how lighthearted it is. That's a mouthful, Will. It is too <laughs> mean for how likable it's supposed to be. It's a Christmas movie. Well, and actually that it ends up being. I mean, the fact that yeah. both Connor and Riley are actually good people. Yeah. They're yes. not scheming to get her back or revenge or whatever. Like, because Connor was my favorite character in the whole movie. Because this poor guy is just like, <laughs> he's so clueless. He's, I mean, he's a classic, he's a classic ex-boyfriend who never left town <laughs> and still pines for the girl that he always sees as kind of gotten, having he's gotten away. Such a catch, you know, and and that's actually something that I did want to speak on the, the gay experience. And this goes a little bit in Harper's defense is there is a thing within the queer community where it's like we're very much aware that we're being seen and we're in a place where we want to project pride and strength and we want to be, you know, really like, yay, like this is all you know, great and all that. But deep down, there are still a lot of deep insecurities and fears and ugly feelings and thoughts. And I think that this movie touches on, it does not go far enough. And this is what I wish it would have done. But it touches on this thing where it's like, when you fall into old patterns with old friends and old family, I think that there's an element of Harper that sort of wants to hold on to this idea, however implausible or improbable it is, that she could still be this quote-unquote normal person. 
heteronormative as mm-hmm. as John Dan Levy's character calls it. And I think that's where the whole issue with Connor and Riley come up and that's where stuff where I'm like I think that there's a great movie in here mm-hmm. that at times rears its head and I think the dynamics between those characters where it's like like you can tell that Connor is the thing for her. She likes knowing that that option is there. There's a scene at the end when John has shown up to come to the aid of Abby. Dan Levy gives a great speech about the fact that Harper is not ready to come out has nothing to do with Abby and doesn't necessarily have anything to do with how Harper may feel about Abby. You know, some people are just not ready at the same time. And I think it's a real important speech. I think it's the kind of thing that should be isolated and should be played and people should hear it. But for me, it's Abby's response that I want someone that's ready. Mm -hmm. Maybe people are going to rake her, going to drag her for that kind of statement. But I think that's completely fair. Look what she put up with. Look at how far she was willing to go with the humiliation that she was subjected to in this five-day period. Which is too long. Which is too long, given the parameters. Seriously? (laughs) Yeah. If we see Harper taking the moments when she could be with Abby and showing us that she actually cared about this woman and give us her internal conflict that way, show us that she really loves this woman and is also being torn apart by the worry about her family's reaction. That is an interesting story. You gave us a woman who says she loves woman A, spends all of her time with friends B, including Connor the ex, because maybe she's keeping that door open, also is worried about her parents' reaction. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to root for here. It's it's, it's almost very much like a, a gay woman has fallen in love with a bisexual woman. <laughs> that's kind of how they play it. And that's not what I thought the story was going to be. Now, Give me the Christmas rom-com story of Riley and Abby, the Aubrey Plaza and Mm -hmm. Christmas Stewart, and I will watch three hours of that shit. I love them together. (laughs) Which I was going to say, fantastic performance from Aubrey Plaza, playing it very close to the vest. Like, it's a level of restraint that I'm not accustomed to in her performances. Also, you know, at risk of being superficial, I don't think she's ever been hotter. (laughs) I agree. She looked beautiful. I've had a crush on her since the Parks and Rec days. There's something about her, like, large eyes that kind of, like, bug out in the idea she might stab you while you sleep. Like, really, really did it for me. Yeah, she was cute then, but she was outright hot in this movie. The makeup was really great. The, yeah. They did some um, fantastic contouring. Uh, well, it looked like it was her, her own hair, too, uh, you know, which is a, which is a plus. So. Which is a real plus, because not everybody was using their own hair. <laughs> I have an issue with this. <laughs> I'm going to let you go off on the hair, but I want to I want to circle back to around to Will's point about how the movie was a Christmas movie for 15 minutes all the way through the dinner scene with the with the silly chair. Which what country club would have a tiny chair? Come on. All the chairs in the place are the same and you know it. Literally behind them, there were two empty seats at a table with the correct chairs. Come on, country club. (laughs) From the start of the movie through that scene, which is about the 15, 20 minute mark, you have an original Christmas song by Sia, Candy Cane Lane. You've got a version of Jingle Bells by Bailey. You've got Cave Boy singing Jolly Old St. Nicholas. And you've got Anna Gasteyer singing Nothing Rhymes with Christmas. All those on top of just instrumental Christmas music, just banging you over the head the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And then it disappears. So I think there's only two other, like, original Christmas songs or original versions of Christmas classics the rest of the movie. Caroline, is this a Christmas movie to you? 
No, I feel like this is it's set at Christmas time, but I think we, we have been pretty clear that hopefulness and joy and like all these other things have to be like pretty prevalent. And I feel like this was like a lot of despair, really. This could be watched at any time because it could have been they came back for a wedding or they right. came back for a high school reunion or they came back for whatever. I will say that, like, sort of the sloppiness of it, all the hand-waving that I do allowing this plot to exist in, in the state that it does is because it is a, you know, family Christmas movie. If it weren't, then I wouldn't be as forgiving of this movie as I am. The same way there's this feeling that you feel like you almost have to like this movie because of its LGBTQ aspect, because this movie is set at Christmas, people are calling it a Christmas movie. They're calling it a Christmas classic, a family-friendly Christmas movie. There's a reindeer gimp joke uh, <laughs> in the first yes. three minutes of this movie, okay? And it's not like a subtle like oh no it's very ham-fisted uh, yeah it's not like adults get it on an adult level but oh, no. kids wouldn't get it my 12 year old thank god he ended up he was gonna watch this with me thank god because i wouldn't have to i didn't want to have to explain the tied up gimp routine because he's <laughs> old enough to get it but that that doesn't scream family christmas movie to me no if this were a wedding or a family reunion or something and abby stayed with harper it would be psychotic um, I think that that only works because it's supposed to be Christmas. Let's go around the horn. When do you leave? Uh, Will, when do you leave if you're Abby and say, bitch, you ain't worth it? Wow. <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. If my history is any indication, I'm Connor's friend who's still pining for him in this scenario. <laughs> but honestly, when Abby does, I think that moment, it really rang true for me, that part of it. You hung in longer than I did. That says something about your character in a good way. Have you ever been with a friend or significant other and you see them with like family or whatever mm -hmm. and they turn into an entirely different person? Yes. 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 <laughs> Yes. There, there is so much in this movie that is post-sexuality. Mm -hmm. Going home into a situation where you're trusting a friend or or someone that you, you care about it doesn't doesn't even have to be sexual, and you're put into a position where I don't even know who you are right now. Mm -hmm. I don't even know who you are, and you're like, who are you, Caroline? When do you walk out if you're Abby? I think at the point when I go and ask Harper, hey, I'm making sure that you're okay because I sat here and fretted all night and, you know, you stayed at the bar when I clearly wanted to hang out with you. And then you tell me I'm suffocating you and you start accusing me of trying to track your whereabouts. <laughs> when she goes and realizes yeah. it's a thousand dollars, I don't end my quest for my ride home at the thousand dollar mark. Like I'm either collecting my pennies for my thousand dollars. Surely mm -hmm. I have other friends. I'm out of there. That's my point. I can take so much until she turns on me. Okay, now I'm out. Because because now I have no protection at all. No, I'm, right. I'm like too scared at that point to stay. Mm -hmm. See, I'm gone the night before. If I came to be with you and we finally have time to be alone together or be with each other, even if we're not making out because of whatever, because you don't want to, because your friends don't know, hey, just be by me by the bar. You go to choose your friends instead of leaving with me. And by the way, I left your hot ex-girlfriend who I am vibing with a thousand times more than with you to come here and you're treating me this way. I am going back to the house to grab my stuff and then, I don't know, going to a bus station or calling up, you know, Aubrey Plus and be like, hey. <laughs> I would see how far I could get towards home. 
and then get someone to pick me up halfway. I've got good legs. I can get pretty far, you know. <laughs> That's where I was sort of playing the mind games where I was like, I didn't understand why her friends also couldn't know. That's realistically right. where I feel like, wouldn't you go out with your three friends from high school who, A, just knew the whole time, or B, by this point, I mean, can you not? They Presumably, because we have no sense of how big this town is. It's huge and tiny. I don't yes. know what Aubrey Plaza is doing here because she's gorgeous and successful, but also a pariah, and it's like... I feel like realistically, if this were me, then I would need somewhere other than the family kitchen where we could go and be like, okay, you know, (laughs) let's let's go back to our reality for a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. we could go on a walk. We could do anything to at Mm -hmm. least just chit chat a little. I mean, just talk. Right. Any relationship worth anything at all has more than just the sexual aspect. So they could have eaten dinner together and chit-chatted at the bar. They could have gone on a walk together and saw the decorations. They could have done a million things that they were doing at home that wasn't blaring, I haven't come out yet, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, it could have just been a loving relationship there. Harper could have done with Abby everything that Abby did. They could have gone to the Oxwood drag bar. Mm-hmm. Anyone there is not blowing up your spot because they're blowing up themselves. They could have walked down this picturesque little town. Little towns at Christmas time are the best, full of, of holiday joy and just the idea that you could be together and not have to be together. Everything that she does with Riley, Harper should have been doing with Abby, but she didn't. Mm. This fails for me as a rom-com because it's too far past mean, and by the time they try and turn the ship around, it's too, too late. The movie's over in 10 minutes minutes ladies we can't you can't make this work you can't whiplash us into making this work again i was gonna say which to mention the dan levy scene that you brought up earlier the movie turns ship single-handedly on that scene and his performance yeah yes i this movie is unwatchable for me if he's not in it if he's not in it and mary holland's not in it oh my god (laughs) but you guys okay i want to talk about jane okay i need to talk about big jane here someone's a middle child A, I am a middle child. But also, you guys, when we're talking about the parents and we're talking about what kind of quality humans they are, this isn't just about homophobia. They are gross parents, you guys. When she is, like, down in the basement and they can't have a lock on the door because Jane's afraid that they're going to lock her in, you guys, that is, like, mental torture. I am, like, scared. But again, that some of that stuff was the parts where I found the movie the funniest. This movie is at war with itself. A hundred percent. I was laughing at it. It reminded me of Isla Fisher from Wedding Crashers. Uh-huh. She was like the crazy sister who just was like always coming around the corner like, rah, rah, like, you know, doing whatever. So Jane works for me based solely on Mary Holland's performance yes. because yes. you get the sense that she's complicit in her family's treatment of her. Jane isn't trying to get her parents approval. Jane is just a happy person who loves her family. I don't know. I disagree. I mean, she has that moment where she's like, everyone stop treating me like this. And I mean, you guys, when they smash the painting over Sloane's head, the viciousness of that, the the meanness of ruining someone's art for the sake of like a really stupid moment. Like it didn't like knock her out or something. Like it didn't even do anything. It was after the fact. I, my heart like ripped in two. Maybe I have two of a soft of a heart. I don't know. But it made me feel horrible. I wanted it to be something really absurd 
because I knew it was going to get ruined or mocked or something. I really wanted it to be something so outlandish because really her fantasy story that she was writing, obviously it was made for laughs, all the like blurps and glurks and all that stuff. Like it was like when she was explaining it, it was meant to make fun of the whole fantasy world. Everyone in my house was as well. But when that painting was actually... Like it was actually just good. Yes. And they still couldn't see that. My heart was just like, I hate this family. <laughs> the movie can't decide what it's going to be. The, it's too sweet in one breath. And in the very next breath, it's just, it's honestly, it's like the scene with the mall cops in the middle. It's very funny. Oh, my God. That was it's very so funny. out of nowhere, though. <laughs> but what business does it have in this movie? What business will? <laughs> so Mary Holland, who was one of the co-writers of the screenplay, along with Clea Duvall, she has said that this movie is semi-autobiographical about her coming out experience and her family. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. Which also would explain the kind of time period that it tonally feels stunted in. Because this does not feel like 2020 to me at any point. Good call, because I kept being like, why Why is Kristen Stewart wearing like a crop toppy kind of top there? <laughs> Kristen Stewart is wearing an outfit Kristen Stewart would have worn in like 2005. I think it's at the party where it looks like her shirt is unbuttoned to her wife beater underneath uh-huh. with, her, like, with her blonde hair. And I was like, I know this is a Kristen Stewart from like a movie poster I saw when she was much younger than she is now. Back at Twilight Days. Yeah, like right post-Twilight where she went a little punk, you know? Clea, this is her story. She's a co-writer on the movie, and she directed it. Now, if you go and look through time where people write and direct a movie based on their life, it's going to not the best version probably of the movie because there's a little there's editing there that doesn't happen because you're controlling all the different parts. I, movies work because person A has the story and conceives it and puts it to paper. Then person B very intentionally takes it and does their interpretation of it and brings it to life. It's problematic when the same person is involved at all three stages. There's a lack of critical eye, I think, happening to that. It was a vanity. Vanity, and I would say a lack of restraint. Like, there's parts where funny was too funny, like the Mike the Mall Cop kind of thing. Like, it went too slapsticky, too silly. The hanging off the roof and falling into the snowman, for me, too slapsticky, too silly. There could have been an outcome to that that still would have been funny, but not like that. Same with the Roomba, same kind of full thing. I was like, this is getting super slapsticky and strange. I don't know why they went that way. Let Jane be It's like I can't decide if it's an indie rom-com or a sitcom. Yes. Here's a little bit where the Mary Holland aspect comes into it. Mary Holland is a big improv person. She is a staple of UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade. She had cut her teeth there. She is a member of like ASCAT, which is like the main active main improv troupe at UCB that they've produced. As is Lauren Lapkus, who is is the female security guard. Mm-hmm. along with uh, the guy who was in Veep, who played Jonah in Veep, who I'll find to say, uh, Timothy Simons. But Mary and Lauren also have their own improv troupe called Wild Horses. It's a four-woman improv troupe. Very, very funny. That's their background. So everything is funny to them. So I think a lot of the slapsticky parts, I think the reason Jane is the way she is, is because that's Mary Holland playing that and having written that role for herself and knowing her strengths. And I think that's where you're getting that kind of element. The 
same way that if this role, the John role, is anyone other than Dan Levy and the kind of space he's filling in the world, I think this movie is is so much different and probably not better. Depending on who's playing Jane and how they're playing Jane, you also feel very probably different about her. I'd like to know how many people who have not seen Schitt's Creek watch Happiest Season and feel the same way about the John speech as we do. For me, Schitt's Creek and that character of David paved the road for that conversation Mm -hmm. that made me hear it and feel it differently than I might have had I not been so in love with him. 100%. So I've seen two seasons of Schitt's Creek. I have not finished it. I am familiar, you know, obviously seeing the two seasons. By the end, by that scene, he had completely earned me. But even he, I found off-putting in the beginning because he's killed pets so i mean they're fish (laughs) sure agree but animals are dead because he didn't take his job seriously that he it's not even his job it's a friend's job and so that was just a level integrity and work ethic will it was a level of (laughs) twice removed level of carelessness that while again funny if the entire rest of this movie was biting and acidic then i would have been all on board I, well, he kept the he kept the pets he knew about initially alive. The fish were really a curveball <laughs> that he didn't sign up for. Uh, when he calls her and he's in the fish store, I laughed out loud, and it was one of the very few times I laughed out loud in this movie. And then finding out his therapist is covering for him, you yeah, know, like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. That was very good. So, so Will, did it affect you at all that you knew David as a character or not at all then, do you think? Because you had seen some... Um, well, (laughs) I guess it didn't matter to me because it didn't matter to me. I didn't know. Like, it didn't really bring... I mean, I like him. I thought he was good in the role. But I wasn't coming to this with extra loaded fondness, I suppose. Good to know. I think that that's important. And I, but I do think that the movie will benefit from coming after Schitt's Creek. I think had it come before Schitt's Creek, it doesn't even have a following at all. But a lot of people will come because of Dan. I think probably, I'll say six, if not seven out of ten people that watch this movie, watch this movie because of Dan and Schitt's Creek. Or, or, or Kristen Stewart, because I think she has a rabid fan base also. So you want to know something that I was a little disappointed by is I actually adore Alison Brie. I think she made as much of the role of Sloane as she could. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I was really sad when Sloane didn't get a solid comedy or like a solid moment. It's like even within the end, she still was an antagonist. And I mean, I know that that's that's a thing. That's a character trope. But I just kind of thought, why would you give this to Alison Brie. But didn't you feel that way across the board with the cast where you were like, how come each of these people have their strengths and none of them got to shine in the way that they can? I think Mary Steenburgen shined. I found her very funny. <laughs> Even with the the talking about the her Christmas brooch that went missing. Oh, and that was to... terrible. Okay, there's another. That's another spot where I'm I'm going home. I am going home. <laughs> there will be no questions asked. I'm per, I'm so happy you brought up Mary Steenburgen because there's a lot. I agree, Caroline. I think there's a lot of wasted talent here because outside of the immediate core leads, everyone was very one dimensional. Alison Brie has tremendous range. If you watched her in Community and watched her on Mad Men and watched her in Glow, mm-hmm. 
That's three different things. Very <laughs> different things, and she does it all uh, so very well. Steve Merchant obviously is is amazing. Uh, Victor Garber has a tremendous range. So a lot of wasted talent here. I, there's probably a great three-hour version of this movie, maybe where there's more character development on all these people that makes this better. I don't know. But I want to get back to Mary Steve Merchant because there's a very <laughs> Moira Rose quality to her, in especially the beginning of the movie. Like, it's one of my first notes was, are they going with, like, a Moira? esque kind of feel about her because and this is caroline i I knew i told you i would get back to wigs her hair is very moira-esque because it's gross looking and i think it's actually her real hair severe but but horrible looking but the whole like i'm going viral all she was missing was saying my babies and she would have been doing like a whole moira rose like using technology terms but not understanding technology and you know going on the instagram i know harper's hair was atrocious i felt like it came directly from her mother tip whose hair also was disgusting talk to me about hair caroline because there was a lot of crimes against humanity going on in this in this uh, movie (laughs) follicles against humanity there's been a lot of articles written about harper's hair because it's painfully horrible in this movie but here's the thing apparently it has this whole hidden meaning about how she's trying to look super conservative and super like they expect her to look basically and we are supposed to visually see that she doesn't fit the mold so we are supposed to be kind of grossed out with the way she's trying to look does that make sense Mm -hmm. but i'm still barfing that we had to see it (laughs) because i really i felt like they they did so many beautiful things with abby's hair which was pretty short and they sometimes had a curly and they had fancy bobby pins and i love all the different things and then she just looked like every she looked like miss hannigan like this crazy (laughs) wig was coming i just hated it so much i will go with this idea that she's supposed to look like she it doesn't suit her okay but i just want to be like bad wig well okay so the whole harper family had this brown canvas supposedly like all these brunettes filled harper's childhood home and then that's why we're supposed to understand that abby like really stands out she has this bright blonde hair and so she's always supposed to like stand out when she's standing in the group supposedly this is what they say i don't know if i agree with that because again victor's got this shocking white hair so i don't know guys well, it, it, really but there are a lot this. of dark tones though and it's funny because the riley riley uh um Aubrey character also has the very dark tones yeah yeah but it's rich it, it is it and it's lush is. but it, riley uh, other than being gay riley would have fit into harper's family's life very well there was a lot there and i and i think that was her commiseration with abby they were both pining over what harper could be and what harper was to them before you know she turned into like this this other woman that they didn't realize when she gets around her family abby looks so cute in her little stocking cap i felt like harper always looked like a dorcas like i cannot for the life of me figure this out i chalked it up to being a sloppy attempt at making her seem butcher like like Uh. like more like a lesbian and i just thought it was poorly done because both abby and riley are sort of like master classes in like lesbian style i i guess i didn't go much further than that but i just thought it, it just seemed 
unfortunate to me. <laughs> That's interesting take though, because any if you know Mackenzie Davis from Halt and Catch Fire, uh, she has actually a much more butch look about her mm-hmm. in those because it's a very punk, it's a very uh, non-feminine look about her in that show. So it's interesting, like her normal look, I find much less feminine than what they tried to put her in here. Picking up on Caroline, uh, what you were saying, she felt like to me like one of Kimmy Schmidt's sisters in the bunker. I I feel like she could have easily have come out of the bunker. And and she with that hair, if you put her in a prairie dress, she would have fit like as like an extra, like a background actor in, in Kimmy Schmidt. But to that point, that was the deal, right? So she's supposed to look like this super conservative woman. And they, I mean, according to the various articles, they're, they're saying that when she comes home, we're supposed to feel like that she's styling her hair. like, And she does put it kind of back a little bit, but not really. I mean, for the most part, it's really scraggly and horrible. But she does wear like different clothes than she wears when she's back at home, when we see her back at home. She wears certainly more like dresses and stuff like that. According to the articles, it's all to keep her mom off her back, that she doesn't want to be nitpicked, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. I mean, we all do that, I suppose. We kind of go back to the things that we know our parents are going to be cool with when we go back home, whatever that is, eat whatever they say. I think that Harper was unattractive on the inside, and that yes. made me really hate her outsides as well. I think so. It was. I think I agree. I think it's a classic case of I would have looked at her differently. I would have looked at the hair differently. I would have looked at how she treated Abby differently if she didn't have as dark a soul. That's who her family is. I mean, Jane almost seems adopted comparatively to everyone else in that family. But, Will, you said you like this movie, so you have to bring us back there. It is one of the ones where the jokes that are there, I do find them more amusing the more I see it. I don't. That maybe your mileage will vary with that. I'm a very sensory person, so if I think, like, if there's colors and sounds and stuff that I like, I'll put something on and let it be on. Uh, and, and again, like I said, especially once you go ahead and shoehorn it into this, like, holiday movie box, I think it hand waves away a lot of the issues. But I don't know how many times I am going to sit down and watch it. Part of our journey in this podcast is coming up with the idea of what makes a movie a good Christmas movie. If you've ever talked to someone about Die Hard in November or December, you've had a conversation about what is a good Christmas movie. What makes a movie a Christmas movie? Because furthermore, if it means something to you, there's too many places within here where I don't buy the dynamics. Because, like, you know, Mm -hmm. aside from the fact that she makes the lifestyle comment about Riley, I don't get homophobia from them, especially. Well, is what I get is I, I would expect more of a don't ask, don't tell thing, especially given the way they treat Jane and Sloan. Well, that's what Anna Gasteyer suggests at the end of the movie, right? And mm-hmm. and, and finally, uh, Ted, <laughs> Ted, Victor Garber's character hangs up on her when she out and out recommends a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy. It was the night before Garber was calling her a liar for making up dirty gay stories about their daughter. You know where I gasped? is when all of that stuff came out and Mary Steenburgen ran after Victor Garber. Yeah. And no, not yeah. the kids. Yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. This is this is a toxic these family. Are scary. This is a yeah. toxic family growing. I mean, it's almost it's almost a credit that these girls aren't more screwed up than they actually are <laughs> with these two numbskulls. Jane pulled through and saved the family. 
She certainly did, you guys. You know, the Shadow Dreams and the Middle Child. I mean, I'm I'm online at my Barnes and Noble to get that book signing. So, yes. well, every week we go around and we rate these movies now on a scale of one to ten jingle bells. But I think we're up to the part where we're ready to rate this movie. But while you're thinking about that, Will, because we're going to give you a minute to think, I'm going to throw out some fast facts, as is Mike, because I know you've got a couple. So, you guys, this was the first holiday-themed movie by a major studio to have a score by a female composer. That seems Mm. impossible, but apparently it's true. Mackenzie Davis trained in ice skating for two months prior to shooting her scenes. That seems (laughs) insane. (laughs) It really does. I feel like she should ask for her time back. There you go. There's an ice competition. (laughs) Harper's on edge for the entire. Yes, I there, was there are heats like that was just the qualifying round that we saw. She actually had a return to the ring, and they added more obstacles and more people. Oh my god! Candy Cane Lane, which opens up the movie, is actually a real place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, the residents of the street that it was taking place on, they actually agreed to keep their holiday decorations and displays up an extra few weeks to accommodate the production. How about the production wrap party took place at a haunted house and an amusement park? I want that movie. Me too. I want that movie big time. (laughs) I would just take a buddy movie between John and Abby, the Dan Levy and Kristen Stewart movie. Just the two of them throwing shade, taking care of animals, going through their life. (laughs) Maybe we go on the book tour with Jane. Maybe it's like a three-person road movie. That would be fun. Yeah. You guys, what was supposed to be John's role with Jane? He was an author's agent. They established at the very beginning of the movie. Well, how convenient for them to have met. He represents authors. That's why when they're on the couch, it's asking, he's talking to her about the book because that's his business. Mary Holland and Clea Duvall actually first met when they were working on Veep together. They actually didn't share any scenes, but they actually became friends behind the camera. How about that this movie opened number one in the Australian box office? That's a high note. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Okay, well, give us some Jingle Bell action. Okay. Looking at everything in context, this is what equality looks like when we can have a lousy gay Christmas movie the same way that everybody else does. And so I'm going to give it a five, a five out of ten. Five Jingle Bells? Excellent. How about you, Mike? I'm going to give this a four Jingle Bells out of ten. I did not like this as a Christmas movie. I did not like this as a rom-com I fell. I think it was just too mean all the way around and just didn't have enough time to redeem itself. I, I just don't think when they finally decided to get to the redemption part, I think it was just too little too late. The thing I would say is I would go check out the music. If you're into holiday music, I think mm-hmm. the soundtrack is actually pretty interesting and, and pretty good. And it, and it has some updated versions of classics. So it has like a modern feel to it. So I would give the soundtrack probably more of like a seven out of 10 Jingle Bells. But the movie as a whole, I probably won't watch this again. I'm going to give this one six Jingle Bells because I actually think it has has a really quality cast, though I don't think that they got to strut their stuff the way that we're used to. I really did enjoy the music. There was a lot of songs there that I didn't know, and so I was like leaning into it to being like, I don't know that song. What is this song? Anytime you can introduce me to new Christmas music, I'm like, that that's fresh. How did you do that? You know, it seems like at this age we should have heard it all, right? I've got a playlist for you. Oh, I like that very much, Will. Look at you just like, show me a little ankle over there. Like, Uh I love it. I love it. That's the name of the playlist, show you a little ankle. (laughs) 
<laughs> very sassy. And then, I mean, yeah, I think that it's a first in, in its many different ways that, you know, a lot of times when something is first, maybe it doesn't get it quite right, but I feel really happy that that was just like busted through and now much more great stuff can come. You know, I probably should have given it a little bit higher ring because I did like the music in it. <laughs> Mike does this every time, Will, which after I give my reasons, he goes back and changes his bills. Well, I'm not changing. I'm sticking to the four. I'm sticking to a four because I think I think there's I think there's a wealth of Christmas movies out there that hit on the themes of joy and, and inspiration and hope and family all a lot better than this one did. I hope I think are, I do anyway. want to mention this, too. For my own self, I have not thought a lot about different coming out stories. And it was very important to me just as my own individual learning self when Dan says, John, if you will, says not everybody has the same story. I think that that's mm -hmm. a really important message that needs to get out there because it's really easy to make a lot of judgment without having any real understanding of like, because they're not going to get the same reaction that you did. So just chill out over here. So that's a message that's super important that gets out there. And so again, I'm giving it my six so that I hope more people give it a chance to have that message get out there. I, I think it absolutely works better as a movie than it works as a Christmas movie. Just pick a wedding or something. That they yeah, would I, I feel like that is, the movie is really teed up for going to a tight ass family wedding or reunion. It should be Sloan's wedding. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be perfection. Something and the like knitting that. Yeah. Between Sloan and Harper would make so much sense then, mm -hmm, you know, right, whatever. Right. Cause there's always a little sisterly crap during that. I mm -hmm. love that. Before we go, I want to play you guys a little clip of our movie coming up for next week and see if you guys can take a guess at what it might be. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Are Will, you? you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready? Hold intrigued. on. Hold on to your okay. hats. Okay. Bob Cratchit. Yes, Mr. Scrooge. <laughs> Who is this? It's Mr. Applegate, sir. He's here to speak to you about his mortgage. Please, Mr. Scrooge, I know you're very angry about this, and I didn't mean to fall behind in the payments. Lord knows it being Christmas and all. Will, I'll let you guess first. It is obviously Bill Murray Scrooged. <laughs> I love the way you just said mortgage. 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 <laughs> We're, we're, stapling heard... an, we're stapling antlers to to a frog. I've That's never heard Kermie say mortgage. <laughs> That's too cute. I gotta get my touch in. I love you, Miss Piggy. I, I, Mr. Scrooge, he's here for his mortgage. <laughs> so silly. Okay, so I'm guessing this is the Christmas story, Muppet movie. Christmas the Muppet story? Christmas the Muppet Carol. Carol. The, the most Muppety Christmas Carol. <laughs> the most Muppety Christmas Carol. <laughs> is that it? The 1992 uh, Brian Henson joint, oh, The Muppet I Christmas Carol. It. So that will be our film next week. That's going to be a huge crowd pleaser up in here. My, uh, you wouldn't know this, Will, but my youngest dressed as Jim Henson for many years. So. I would. We talked about it in our very first episode. I'm so glad you remembered. <laughs> Guy Gilchrist, I remembered. Guy Gilchrist. Yes, all that's true. That's so funny. <laughs> well, guys, I think it's to the end of talking about happiest season, not the happiest season, just happiest season. I want to <laughs> give a big thanks to Will from So I'm Watching the Show. Will, where can people find you, find a podcast, find your YouTube channel? Oh, my goodness. Well, I... I am at Willow719, W-I-L-L-O-719. And then you can find So I'm Watching the Show at either So I'm Watching.com. And it's So I'm Watching Twitter. And YouTube is So I'm Watching the Show. All right. And you guys are dropping episodes on YouTube and the regular, just regular audio podcast, yes? Yes. We are trying to pump them out. 
flood the market. <laughs> Check out Will and Kristen and producer Will with two L's, and uh, mm-hmm. they're they are good friends to the clubhouse. They they are like inauguration, like inaugural members. Aww. They've been Thank there. Thank you for coming by the clubhouse. We had super fun with you, Will. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening for our third week of fifty two weeks of Christmas. This is Caroline, and this is Mike. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe to the fifty two weeks of Christmas podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We don't want to have to put Mackenzie Davis's wig on your head, so leave us five stars. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.